Welcome to Fantasy Sports Daily with Kyle Frank and Ray Flowers, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to use the promo code FSD20 for a 20% discount on the products over at FantasyGuru.com. Lions, wide receivers, and catchers, oh my. It is another edition of Fantasy Sports Daily on a Wednesday. Kyle Elfrink and Ray Flowers hanging out with you. Powered by FantasyGuru.com. A day where we will uh, spend a good portion of our get-together talking uh, baseball. Sprinkle in a little bit of football as we get set for championship weekend. And since we didn't get to it yesterday, because we knew we were going to save it till Wednesday, we will talk hoops with Justin Finsterman. Uh, more NBA trades, NBA firings, a lot happening in the association. Ray Flowers, are there uh, many things happening in the Flowers household on this uh, Wednesday morning? Uh, well, we had the reins back. Uh, the dog and the cat are acrimonious once again. Um, nothing, you know, it's it, Crimea River. My yeah. mornings are really busy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, we start the show at 8 a.m. East uh, Pacific time, which means I'm getting up at 645 and I'm running around trying to get things ready for the listeners and for everything. So I think uh, I'm settled. But, it, you know, it was, it was a busy hour and a half sprint to get here, Kyle. Well, all that work stuff. And yet you still have to take the dog. You every morning have to take the dog out to uh, relieve himself. huh? Well, just now, because my, my lady, she's away on a business trip. Usually oh, okay. she does the morning. So she saves me in the morning for that. But uh yeah, poor Ollie. You can follow him on Instagram, by the way, at Ollie Aussie Dog. Yes. Um, hurt his foot or his leg, so he's been limping around. So we haven't actually been able to run the last couple of days, and I know that's killing him in his heart. Yeah, well, and he's a runner, from what I hear. He, he, he enjoys his running, so uh, he's he's a little down down a foot, down a paw, I guess, as uh, he tries to get better. Uh, we got a lot to get uh, to today, much to get to. Uh, just like yesterday, we'll actually start with some baseball, a lot of baseball. Uh, we got some news shaking with free agency. We got more from Ray's draft guide. We're going to talk uh, a little bit more about catchers. We are profiling that position all week long. Yesterday, we talked about the surprises. Uh, there weren't many of them last season. Uh, there were a few more letdowns at the catcher spot. So we will profile those. Mention the signings, the Milwaukee Brewers, who, for the most part, have kind of been in rebuild slash sell mode this offseason. Uh, they have gone out and added a big bat to their lineup. Hall of Fame class is out. Three will be in this summer. And then we'll switch gears and talk a little football. Uh, not much shaking in terms of the playoffs, but a little more shaking on the coaching front, um, including news on Bill Belichick, who suddenly is media shy. Maybe not suddenly. He's he's always kind of been media shy. Uh, we will continue to recap the wide, rec wide receiver position, some guys who made some strides late. And as noted, some NBA talk with Justin Finsterman. Now, I mentioned, Ray, the draft guide. We're going to delve in. Uh, to something people love every year, projections. But before we get into that draft guide and before we focus on that column, tell the folks out there how they can get their grubby little hands, our eyes, as the case may be, on the uh, draft guide over at fantasyguru.com. Yeah, you can always go to the link there, fantasyguru.com slash products slash MLB dash memberships. That's confusing. Uh, we have the link in the description, both on the YouTube page and then the article when we, I mean, the, excuse me, the article slash video when we posted it at fantasyguru.com. So you can find it there. Or you can just go to the webpage, click on the Join Now tab on the right, top right hand side of the page, then go to MLB. And uh, basically, when you sign up, it's for everything we got for seasonal baseball. And it's from now through the World Series. So it's not just a preseason guide, it's all the way through the World Series. Uh, you'll get the articles, you'll get the rankings. The rankings are updated all throughout the season. 
Uh, we've got about 12 different ranking formulas, uh, I guess formats, better way to say it, 12, 12 different formats of rankings out right now. We got everything, I think, covered to some degree. Uh, we'll continue to, to write articles. Right now, we're kind of in the breakdown what happened and overall looks, like who qualifies, who is someone to, to look at based upon these three measures or these four measures. Uh, as we get closer to the month of March, we'll start the player profile series, which is you know the in-depth 1,500-word articles on individual players. But uh, from now through the World Series, we got you covered. Go to the site, click on the Join Now tab, and don't forget to use the promo code FSD20. That gets you a 20% discount, so it's $40 for the entire season. And I think it's uh, very important to reiterate that last part, Ray, the entire season, not just the draft guide, which is $40. Uh, it's everything all season long. Does not include DFS. That's an additional subscription. But if you are a season-long player looking for advice and help all season long, uh, the guy at the top there, Ray Flowers, is going to help you all through the season for 40 bucks. So he's working cheap. So take advantage of him. That's what I always say. Take advantage of Ray Flowers and his <laughs> efforts throughout the summer. So uh, do check that out. Uh, one thing we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, ever since the draft guide uh, has dropped, is uh, kind of focusing on, you know, a bit of an article, maybe a whole article each and every day. And uh, Ray, um, th this is purely my own opinion. This is not the opinion of Ray Flowers. This is not the opinion of FantasyGuru.com. But today we are going to talk about a, a subject matter, which uh, honestly, I've never had to do, thankfully. Um, it's another thing that uh, not only do I never want to do it, but Ray, I, <laughs> although everybody wants it, I, I, I think for me personally, um, it's mostly an exercise in futility. It's I, I don't want to call it a waste of time because people do pay attention to this. The general public loves this stuff. Um, it's something to get them through the uh, dark and cold days of winter. I get it. But to me, Ray, as we uh, unveil the idea of projections, I must say it's it's uh, something that isn't of great interest to me. <laughs> That's just me, though. Where do you stand on projections, Ray Flowers? Yeah, I've got a the big article over at the site delves into some of my thoughts. And you and I have talked about this previously uh, throughout the years. When I was younger... And I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but when I was younger, like I would run to the, when that fantasy baseball magazine hit the, hit the newsstands, if you will, I'd run to the bookstore and buy that thing. And, you know, the first thing I would do is I'd flip to my favorite players, player profile, you know, and I'd see Daryl Starbreak, 28 home runs, 92 RBIs. Yes. It's the first thing I looked at, right? Um, as I got more sophisticated and as I've, you know, been part of the process, you know, been involved with the process, I'm of the opinion as you are, and we'll discuss it here, that while it's cool to have them, they're really meaningless. <laughs> um, and there's a variety of reasons for that that we can dig into it. But I will say that I don't draft my teams based upon projection models. I know a lot of people do. And I think that that sometimes is one of the reasons why some people struggle a little bit with the draft and, and with how their team performs in season. And, and Ray, it's not just a uh, young versus old thing or, oh, you know baseball and this person doesn't know baseball. There are people, and, and Ray and I are getting into like fantasy baseball draft season with experts and such. And Ray it is without fail, especially in these big money leagues or, you know, very popular uh, industry wide leagues. There are people who absolutely sit there and project their categories. Let's say they're in a five by five league and they want to say, hey, if I want to finish top five in RBIs, I've got to have this number. 
Uh, I got to have this kind of batting average and they draft accordingly in space. Not so often. They're not looking at like Ray's projections or, you know, Yahoo's. They've got their own projections like yep. famously, right? Yep. Um, our friend Lenny Melnick, who's been in this industry for decades and decades and decades. Lenny was uh, playing fantasy baseball when Ray and I were in diapers. Lenny Ray is still a guy who sits there and is getting his numbers, getting his projections. And honestly, sometimes it fails. Sometimes it, it succeeds. And Lenny's not the only one. He's the one that I always think of. We hang out a lot and do drafts together. And he's always kind of getting me behind the scenes. I'm going to get the, well, look at, look at the team I'm going to put together. You watch, I'm going to get these guys. And he usually does. Uh, so Ray, there are people who absolutely do. Uh, rely on projections to put their fantasy team together. I think, in my opinion, you want to use projections to help put your team on it. But to take your word, you do not want to rely on them. And it's very—it's to me, it's very simple. Uh, and you know, it, it, the project. Let's just say most projection models play the middle path, mm -hmm. right? Most projection models will say, you know, the guy hit two seventy-five last year. He's going to hit 270 to 282 this year. Like everyone's going to, he hit 25 home runs last year. The projection models are going to say 22 to 29. They're all going to be the same. So everyone plays the middle. That's point number one. Point number two, there is variability in performance. A 25 home run hitter hits 20 home runs or 30 home runs. That's a big gap, right? It's the same. It's five low or five up, right? So you're basically the same off your baseline of 25, 20 or 30. And it doesn't sound like much 10 for one guy. But what if every guy you have projected is 10 over or every guy you have projected is is, is the under, right? Then we start looking at an entire team that we've, we've now had 50 more home runs than we thought or we have 50 fewer home runs than we thought. That's the issue, Kyle. And I, it's on the, the graphic that we have there too. I think that bleeds into the playing time piece because as, you can, as the folks can see if they have the YouTube up or they're at the site, that you can, I can have an accurate projection over 465 plate appearances. This is what my projection is. My guy can play 400, get 403 plate appearances because he got hurt. So he missed a couple of weeks. So he loses 60 plus plate appearances. My projection is exactly the same as what he actually did on a per plate appearance basis. The problem with that is he lost 60 plus plate appearances. Mm -hmm. So none of the numbers match what my projections are. So all if, if that happens, and how, let's be honest about this, we don't know who's going to get hurt when. If we have guys projected all at 500 plate appearances and all those guys are at 425, even if the guys are exactly who we predicted them to be, we're in trouble. If we uh, have Ray, predicted at 500 and they go 550, yeah. we're in a great spot. Yeah, and and Ray, I was just, I'm lucky enough right here next to me, uh, but I won't, you know, I'm not picking on, it's not like, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing. I'm honest. Ray, Ray is so right on choosing the middle. You, you will never, outside of like a rookie who maybe got a cup of coffee the previous year and hit like five home runs in a month, um, and then the next year they'll say, well, now he's going to be a full-time player, so five home runs is going to become 28 home runs. You know, you'll see that with rookies. But, Ray, outside of that, nobody ever – there are guys every single year who the year before hit 12 home runs, and then they bust loose for 32 or 25. You know, they double, and it's never predicted. You know, it's, you know, so, it, and I'm looking, I, I wanted to bring this one up because I thought it would be a good exercise. I'm looking at a draft guide from last season. Uh, they've got projections in there. Um, and Ray, they projected um, this particular player to hit 258. Uh, he ended up hitting 285. They projected him for 17 home runs. He ended up with 25. 
they projected him for 30 stolen bases. He ended up with 54. They projected him for 88 runs. He ended up with 116. They had him down. This one's pretty close. 66 ribbies. He ended up with 76. This player far outperformed everything. Everything. And yet I can tell you this, 12 months ago, everybody wanted to draft this guy. And yet the projections were way off. Everybody was excited about this guy. Everybody knew he was going to be good. And these projections, honestly, were 60% accurate. Not very good. And that's Corbin Carroll. Mm -hmm. And and Ray, you can go up and down the list. I mean, it's all over the place. Everywhere you look, the, the projections, like it's not like they thought Corbin Carroll. Like, it, Ray, if you, if you look at the projections based off what he did, you might have said, wow, they thought Corbin Carroll wasn't going to be any good. Mm-hmm. No, they were suggesting you draft Corbin yeah. Carroll. It's just their projections were way off. So you can still be right without really being right with projections. And that goes to your top piece here. What is an accurate projection? And there are different ways of measuring accuracy. And I don't think we have an agreed upon definition of what makes for an accurate projection, do we? We don't. And I gave an example. I usually give a hitting example, but I gave a pitching one this year. Like, let's assume we're drafting a reliever and the overwhelming, if we're in a five by five league, the overwhelming majority of a, of a fantasy earnings is save based, right? So let's say I predict a two and a half ERA, a one, one whip, 11 and a half strikeouts per nine and three victories. And let's say that pitcher goes out and has a two and a half ERA, a one, one whip, 11 and a half strikeouts per nine and three victories. I'm 100% accurate, 100%. I'm perfect in four of the five categories. If I predict that guy to save 30 games, though, and he saves 10, is anyone happy with that projection? Hell no. <laughs> they drafted him to be their closer. <laughs> right. And if we're being objective about this, 100% right on ERA, 100% right on whip, 100% right on wins, 100% right on strikeouts, that means my projection is, what, 90% accurate? But because I missed the one category where the majority of the value is generated for players out of bullpens, the save category, it's not a good projection in the fantasy saves. But as a as an analyst, as a projector, that's a home run. It's a slam dunk. It's a great projection. But no one's going to be happy with that. Same thing on the offensive side. You nail it, batting average, home runs, RBIs, runs scored. You predict 20 steals, he steals four bases. He does the Manny Machado thing, which is all steals four bases. No one's happy with that. So even when your projection is quote unquote accurate, it still can leave people um, disappointed. And remember too, if you're drafting off projections and you're expecting 30 saves and you got two guys you're expecting 60 saves from, and those two guys save 20 games, you're not, your team is not only not living up to what you expected on draft day, you're going from finishing third in saves to 12th. Mm-hmm. It's a massive difference, even if the pitcher's performed exactly as you expected yeah and and there's a variety of these things you can look at um you know i brought up the case of corbin carroll and you might say well that's unfair we hadn't seen like a full season of corbin carroll well a guy like mookie betts right we've seen a lot of and we know mookie betts is one of the best players in baseball um again same same projections i mean they were off by 45 points in batting average uh, they had him for 32 home runs. He had 39. They had him for 77 ribbies last year. Monkey Betts had 107. They had him for 105 runs. He had 126. Now, again, 100 runs, that's great. They predicted 100. He got over 100. Yet they were off by 20% <laughs> on his run. Right. So even the guys we know, Ray, it's just mm-hmm. like, I don't need a projection to tell me, hey, Monkey Betts is going to be good in five categories. You know, and, and that's why I think the, the projection system is just foolhardy. 
Um, you know, if you drafted Mookie Betts thinking you were getting a 265 hitter because of the projection, you got a guy who almost hit 310 last season. And and Ray, I mean, his career average is 290. The projection said 265. Like, again, it's just weird how they come up. And you bring it up, where do these come from? Everybody has their own system. Um, I think sometimes people just say they've got some great algorithm and really it's just their gut, which I'm not. Uh, Ray, I'm not going to sit here and say that's wrong. I think your gut <laughs> can be as good as the algorithm that anybody creates. Um, now, we'll see. Five years from now, AI, Ray, mm-hmm. is going to be taken over. Now, the power of AI, and I'm not no expert on this, Ray, but they can do a lot better and a lot more quick work and crunching of numbers than anybody on Earth can as a human. Mm-hmm. So, Ray, I hope. Maybe five years from now, these projections are worth a damn. You know, maybe AI, Ray, shows us the errors of our ways. I am going to bet, though, and this is one of those things, like when you look at newspaper write-ups from 1910 and you laugh at their predictions, you know, Ray, this may be, what, five years? I'm going to bet, Ray, the AI projections aren't any better than what we're getting now. Would you make that bet, or do you think there's more power in AI? (laughs) No, and and it's it's a... It's a really fascinating evolution I've seen because when, when I started in this industry full time over two decades ago, no one in the world thought you could predict much of anything with accuracy, mm-hmm. right? You really didn't. You're like, well, okay, we'll look at everything that we have and here's our best guess. Now people not only think they can predict everything, they, they and they take it down to the, the micro level, right? They're not only predicting the season. They'll never to predict every day with DFS. That's not how it works. That's not how the game is played. And I say this all the time. You don't know if someone didn't sleep well last night, if they had a bad burrito, if they got in a fight with their significant other, if their dog died, you don't know what people are dealing with. You don't know where they're at mentally. You don't know where they're at physically. Oh, that was not a big injury. Well, actually, it was a big injury, and the guy's going to have to have surgery in three months, so he's just playing through it. So there's all that kind of stuff that goes into it. And I think that you know your example with Mookie Betts is, is, is you know, I mean, look at it. He had 264 and 269. So to your point, the projection model said 265. Why? <laughs> Now, should it have taken more into account? He's a 290 plus career hitter. Did it could it could those projection models have come up with a scenario where he hit 307? Yes, but they chose not to do it. Why? Because everyone plays the middle. And that's ultimately Jeff Mann says this all the time on his show. You can't do what everyone else does and find an edge. If you're doing what everyone else does, you're just keeping pace. And in my experience, having again worked behind the scenes with projections studied projections on the outside, everyone plays the middle. It does you no good to have Mookie Betts go 30, 90, 110, 10, 275. Whoopie-doo. Anyone can say that. A 12-year-old kid could look at it and say it. What works is if you say Mookie Betts this year is going to hit 320 and still 27 bases because no one's expecting that. Mm-hmm. What works is Mookie Betts, man, there's all these issues we're dealing with. Not true. There's all these issues we're dealing with. He's going to hit 251 this year and still four bases. That helps. And this is what, you know, I, I see people out there, they predict, you know, the fourth rounder is going to produce like a first rounder. Okay. Okay. How about we do what I do with the pitching one and try to predict a guy in the 22nd round that's going to be a fifth rounder. you got to well, differentiate yourself. And I just don't think the projection models do a, a good enough exam. They're not good enough. I mean, you could basically, just to be fair, you could basically take a three-year average on this. Yeah. Yep. Wait last year, 50% of it. And your projection models will be almost as accurate. 
mm-hmm. as any of these systems that people spend hours and hours and weeks and weeks putting together. Yeah. And and very rarely, Ray, you know, we all kind of fall into groupthink. And I'm not saying it's incorrect, but, you know, guys are, you know, if you're truly fired up or a projection model thinks a guy is going to break out, then he should be drafting, you know, five, six rounds ahead of his ADP. That That's right. rarely going to happen. The other thing I would throw out there, because we're now into, into the preseason and people are picking up guides or checking out Ray's guide, other guides that are out there and reading things. You know, you'll come across every guide, Ray, has a column about breakouts, you know, guys who are too, you know, and every author makes their prediction of 10 to 12 guys, whatever it may be. Um, You should look at that list and then cross-reference it with what the projection in that same guide says. And even though the writer may personally feel there's a breakout, the projection probably doesn't show that, usually. Even if you cross, let's say, uh, their breakout call this year, um, you know, I, I don't know, Sam Freelick or Sal Freelick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sal Freelick. He's going to be the breakout guy. Okay, so you look at his projection. You're probably not going to see it. Look at five other projection systems. You're probably not going to see it. So, you know, you may think, oh, Sal Freelick, I'm seeing this day. But then you, and I'm just throwing his name out there. Nobody's calling for him to be some monster. Um, well, report back to me in September when he's won the NL MVP. <laughs> But it's 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 fun, Ray. It's like chewing gum. It's something right. to keep you busy for a bit. But you shouldn't think it's going to get you through the day, I well, guess, or get you through the draft. I read a breakout column yesterday where someone said Jake Berger was on the list, and I'm like, Jake Berger hit 34 home runs last year. Is he going to hit 50 this year? year? Yeah, is he going to hit 50 this year? Because if he's not, he's. So I think that, you know, I think this is. Again, I think I'm not putting down anyone that puts one of these systems together. It's a tremendous amount of work. Again, I yeah. think there's value to it, but we've got to be smart about how we utilize it. And, you know, the the play the middle component of this, you know, it takes guts. And I said this years ago, I think it was 2019 before COVID. We were in Syria. We were in Vegas for the Sirius FSGA draft. And they you give us the microphone, you know, give your thought on your first pick. And I said, we suck at predicting the first round. And you should have seen the looks on the faces from the other experts in this room. They wanted to murder me. Yeah. Because all we do for the, all we'll do is field questions for the next two months about the first round. And as I write every year, you know, Baseball HQ did a study. I build on the study. We suck at it. We suck. And that's the first round. Okay. If we can't predict who the top 15 guys are, and we're usually about a third right. Okay. We can't predict to the, how the hell are we going to predict guys in the fifth round or the 16th round or the 18th round? The only way we're going to do that is to have, we have to go out on a limb and not enough people will do that. Not enough people will say, I see a problem with Mookie Betts. And again, I don't, but we're just talking about him as an example. I see a problem with Mookie Betts. I know his ADP is fifth overall. I got him 29th. Hmm. Like that's, that's a projection that would be valid to you. Whether he's fourth here or eighth here or ninth here, it's all the same. He's a top 10 guy. If someone says he's 29th or 34th, or, then there would be value to that if that was an accurate projection. But number one, no one's going to project that. And number two, I, I don't I don't think if you create a model that is willing to take risks like that, Kyle, that the model sticks. Because it's just if you have too much, if you miss too often, people turn away from your projection system. So you just play the middle. Um, Ray, was there anybody that you... You know, you note there, how are they created? A little computer, a little bit of personal, you know, insight. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody that, like, you see taking off from 13 home runs to 28 and driving in 
from 60 to 100. <laughs> Was there anybody that the projection came out that way? <laughs> you know, I, I I haven't looked. The only projection models that I personally looked at this year, uh, and by the way, Fangraphs is a good source for that. They have Steamer and ATC up. I've looked at Steamer, and we actually carry Steamer. Just to put that too, we have Steamer on the website at fantasyguru.com. Those are not my projections. It says it right at the top. People always skip past the reading part and think those are my projections. They are not my projections. Ray, this guy's ahead of this guy. Doesn't matter what the projections are. That's Steamer. That's not me. Okay. Uh, I don't remember seeing anyone there that, you know, was bananas. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, and, and I think that it's, like, it's really playing time, Ray. And that's, that's where these things really fall apart. 100%. And when you're, I mean, you're, these are trillions of outcomes over the course of a season. And it can just all go haywire, you know, as, well, as soon as the second, third week of April, these projections are, are cat litter. Yeah, like Aaron Judge, Steamer has Aaron Judge for 150 games played. If he plays 150 games, does anyone doubt that Aaron Judge will be a star? How many times has Aaron Judge played 150 games in six years? Yeah. Once. So is that a fair projection? Is it an accurate projection? I guess that's calling, uh, that's maybe something different than the computer would say. Yeah, but <laughs> how many, how many people? Say, this guy's good for 135 games. And by the way, that, that part, a little human, a little computer, I've been involved in that process where it's like, this is what the computer says. Let me go in here with my eraser and change that 29 to 14. Like it's, it's happened. I've seen it happen. I've been, <laughs> this is 15 years ago, but I've been part of it. Um, and I, I gave the quick example there in the, in the, the little sheet we have up on the page, you know, this is, the, I think you're right. This is probably the biggest issue. Even if your projection is accurate, right? If you project a guy to play 150 games and he plays 132, your projection's wrong. And when a player gets hurt, and I gave the example there on the, on the sheet, when Aaron Judge goes down with an injury, he's, he has to be replaced in the lineup. It's unlikely if he misses 30 games that one player will play those 30 games. They'll probably mix and match. They'll play matchups. They'll call a guy up from the minor. So number one, judges playing time projection changes. Number two, two other players, the two guys that fill his role, their playing time projection changes, right? There's only a certain amount of plate appearances each team has, right? That, that's it. So if we start adding to this guy and adding to this guy and taking away from this guy, one injury has now changed three players' outlooks. Yeah. And what, what team has ever had one player injured? Zero. So if we get five guys injured, we now have 15 players. Think about that. Five injuries, 15 players playing time. It can be adjusted. No model in the world can predict that. It's impossible. That's probably, again, going back to the first example I gave on the per plate appearance basis. These models can be spot on accurate on a per plate appearance or per inning basis, but no one can predict how many innings or plate appearances someone's going to get. Yeah, and, um, you know, <laughs> I'm looking at Aaron Judge here. And, I mean, right, here's the projection. There's there's three projections over at Fangraphs, uh, ATC, FDC, or FGT, DC, and Streamer. <laughs> and, Ray, they're, they're all the same. They're all the same. <laughs> 27 homers, 27 homers, 28 homers, okay. 54 ribbies, 57 ribbies, 60 ribbies. Uh, or let's run scored. Sorry, here's the ribby 72, 70, 67. All three projection systems are saying the exact same thing about Aaron Judge. Exactly. <laughs> I'll make a bet, Ray. They're all three going to be wrong. Well, Aaron Judge this year. And I mean, in, in, you know, Aaron Judge the last six years has one season of 40 home runs. One. So I will give credit if they're saying he's going to hit 45, at least that's a projection. No, no, that 27 is what they've got him at. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. I see 45. Where are you looking? Okay. okay. 
I'm looking at uh, fan graphs, the oh, at the bottom, okay. 2024. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm seeing, well, the ATC says 27 homers. FG, DC, 27, and then 26. Mine says 45, 45, 46. At Fangraphs? At Fangraphs. I'm looking at Aaron Judge page right now. Yeah. Oh, wait. I, it, well, Giancarlo Stanton. Ah, Apologies. okay. Apologies. Okay. You're talking Judge, and it got me. Th- yeah, Paul, yeah, that's my screw up. Well, But, but there's, Aaron, there's uh, Giancarlo Stanton, the exact same number. But go to Aaron Judge. 45, 45, 46 home runs. 107, 112, 145, 114 RBIs. They're the same. <laughs> It's the same situation that you're dealing with, Stan, just different numbers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there it is, projections. Um, again, I, I don't like them. I don't care about them, but we just spent uh, 25 minutes on them. So They're up on the site, though, Ray, for people who want to check them out, correct? Yeah, we have the steamer ones on the – again, they're not my projections. They're steamer projections. They're on the, the rankings page, so you can see them there. If that's something that you would like to look at, like to use in your draft, we do have them available for you at fantasyguru.com. What's uh, steamer saying about Reese Hoskins? Let's pull it up. Yeah, Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins in the news. He has signed a deal with uh, Milwaukee. Two years, $34 million for Reese Hoskins, who didn't play a single inning last season. You might remember, uh, what was it, ACL, mm-hmm. I think it was, at the uh, very end of spring camp, like literally a week before the season. Um, never came back. He has inked a deal with Milwaukee, which, Ray, I'll, I'll give Milwaukee credit. Um they need somebody like Reese Hoskins. You know, they need a first baseman. They could use some oomph in the middle of their lineup. And he is a guy, Ray, if nothing else, this guy can club you 25 to 30 home runs and drive in 90 runs every year. He's going to have a lot of swing and miss, probably a lot of walks too. But his talent is not one where you say, oh, my God, what's he going to be when he's coming back? I mean, he's going to be what he's always been, a guy who stands up there and tries to hit home runs. <laughs> Yeah, he's averaged 29 home runs the last two seasons. His current steamer projections for 30 this year. Um, but yeah, I, I, Hoskins is, is a he's a little he's not full Joey Gallo because he doesn't strike out anywhere near that rate. But he is a better option in on base percentage league than a batting average league. He's going to be league average and batting average. His on base percentage is very likely to be that. It's been down a little bit the last two years, but still it was better than the league average. He, you know, like you said, he's he's hmm, it's interesting. He's not appreciably different. Than Carlos Santana, really. He's a younger version. I think he's a slightly more talented version. But he's a 25 to 30 home run guy, 80, 90 RBIs, like you said. That's, you know, provided he's healthy and he plays. Uh, it's a good ballpark to hit in. He's going to be in the lineup every day, which is always a concern. But, yeah, I think that it's reasonable to look at his 2022 numbers and say if he stays healthy, he could replicate that in 2024. Yeah, first base, as a corner infielder, uh, Reese Hoskins still fits the bill and Heck, you could maybe even get away with him as a low-end first baseman if you really wanted to wait and wait and wait at that position. But again, you just got to understand it's a home run ribby play uh, with a guy like Reese Hoskins. Matt Moore has uh, inked a one-year deal back with the Angels, probably working out of their bullpen. He's kind of reinvented his career as a reliever. Uh, We talked a little at the Hall of Fame yesterday. We ended up with three guys getting in in uh, 2024, Ray. It'll be Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and of course... Todd Helton getting in, but no Billy Wagner, no Gary Sheffield. So three guys end up getting in. Yeah. Todd Helton with the fist pump, like he was in breakfast club when he got the call uh, from the <laughs> hall of fame. Yeah. Billy Wagner. Uh, interesting. What did he fall like five votes short? Like yeah. he was right there on the cusp. It looked like he was going to make it. Obviously the late returns dropped him out and 
you said I think you said he'd be in for you yesterday. Did you say that or did I make that up? Yeah, I think so. Wagner. Yeah. I'd, I'd have Wagner in before a guy like Hilton, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Billy Wagner's fascinating. Go read his story if you don't remember him or anything. But all the strikeouts, all the saves, as dominant a left-handed reliever uh, until he retired as there has ever there had ever been. Now you can yeah. talk about guys that have come on since. But yeah, I think that if we're going to reward guys for doing that job, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I agree with that. Yeah, well, I mean, guys like like a guy like Kimbrel Ray, now he's kind of like, ah, you know, who cares? Baltimore's adding him and nobody's excited about that. Yeah. But Ray, for, I mean, his pure numbers should get him into the Hall of Fame. And you it, wonder if by hanging around, he's ruining his chances for the Hall of Fame. Seriously, with a guy like Kimbrel. Yeah, and, and, and uh, someone was making the argument, I, uh, I think it was one of the Braves beat writers, talking about Aaron Jones doing the same thing. Because we talked about it yesterday, Aaron Jones for a decade – was Andrew. like third in baseball in war. He won 10 gold gloves every year, and he was ca- called one of the three greatest center fielders in the history of baseball. If he had quit after 12 years and not hit 210 for four years, would he be in the Hall of Fame? So, yeah, it's it's a weird thing. And, you know, people – I think in the case of closers, you really – sticking around to get 25 saves a year for another five years, even if you're not at your dominant best, I think makes a huge difference. I think, though, it can maybe hurt offensive players if they – you know, recede to the level of just being league average. Well, and, and relievers for so long, Ray, it was hard to get in. And then like mm-hmm. Goose Gossage snuck in and then Lee Smith got in. And then we saw Hoffman and, you know, Rivera and, and all these guys. And now people may think, oh, there's too many relievers getting in. You know, are we going to put Kenley Jansen into the into the Hall of Fame well, now? So it's, You put Lee Smith in, what's the difference? Exactly. <laughs> Once Lee Smith got in, I, I mean, mean, John Franco has a, has a case to be made. Yeah, I mean, Billy Wagner compared to Lee Smith, it's in terms of production, it's not even close. It's not even close. Billy Wagner is far and away a more talented and more productive guy, but he didn't have the 478 saves, right? He had 422, and for some reason, that extra 50 saves got Lee Smith in, and Billy Wagner's going to have to hope to make it in his last year of eligibility. Okay, so uh, three guys, I don't know, is the, uh, no, I don't think there's a uh, veterans committee. They put in one of the announcers, I think, this year, a guy up in Boston, Castiglione, maybe. Um, so he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. But these are the three guys we've got, so that'll be fun. Uh, like I said, uh, Beltre, Mauer, Helton, all into the Hall of Fame. Is that the uh, first true Rocky? Right, Ray? Larry Walker, well, I Larry guess he went in as a Rocky, or did he go in as an Expo? I, I don't remember. remember. What, who knows what they do anymore, but for – Probably Rocky. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably a Rocky. But, yeah, for a guy that played his whole career, yeah, there, yeah, it would be Todd Helton. Okay. Uh, let's keep it going with baseball this week. We're talking catchers, previewing the position. Uh, we started with kind of an overview of the spot on Monday. Uh, yesterday, we talked about some uh, surprises at the position. Today, we hit you with letdowns. But before we get to those letdowns, did you know at the catcher position for today, JT Ralmuto, 37 stolen bases as a catcher, in the last two years, there is no other catcher in baseball over the last two years who has more than 11. So JT Ralmuto triple, more than triple, the number two guy at the catcher spot. But as we get into talking about disappointments, Ray, I guess I will unfairly lead with the guy there at the top, JT Ralmuto, who it was not bad last year, but Ray, it was down last year. Um, everything kind of slipped a bit. Even the stolen bases slipped a bit. And he was drafted to be the top dog at the position. I think he finished fifth because of those stolen bases. Um, 
what about this year? Is it, is it, Hey, he'll level off and, you know, still be solid all around. Or do you feel we've kind of reached that point where as a catcher in his thirties, the returns are going to be uh, shrinking. Yeah. I mean, I, you have to look at concerns about workload concerns about health as we start to age for any player. Certainly that's the case for a catcher. So much of the value of Real Muto is in that stolen base that you referenced because, you know, stealing 15 bags at that position is a massive advantage. You know, if you get five steals from your catcher, you're happy, right? Getting 15 mm-hmm. is huge. The issue that Real Muto is running into is, like you said, he, it was down last year. I mean, he had his worst walk rate since 2007. He had his worst strikeout rate since 2014. That's a really bad combination, by the way, right? Uh, his batting average was his lowest since 2014. His on-base percentage was his lowest since 2015. His OPS was his lowest since 2015. Like, that's – 2015 is a long time ago. That's before he even established himself as JT Romuto. So you start looking at some of these major numbers, and you start seeing some significant cross-the-board pullback. Not – I get maybe significant is not right. Pullback across the board. Mm -hmm. I don't think anything was significant, but pullback across the board. And when you can tick box after box after box with pullback – you start to realize how important it is for him to keep running. If he stops running or slows in the running column, he gets pulled back to the pack very quickly at the catcher position. Well, it's it's a 33-year-old catcher, Ray. I mean, how many of these guys hit into their mid-30s? Even Mike Piazza faded, you know? It's it's just a really and, – and Sal Perez, I guess, would be the, the other side of the argument. But he became strictly a home run hitter pretty well, a great home run hitter, in fact. And Real Muto's never been a great home run hitter. Now, maybe, Ray, he goes to 25, 30 home runs. Maybe he just sells out. But if that's happening, his average is probably dropping well below 250, and his stolen bases will probably disappear. And I I think counting on a guy who plays this position in his 30s for steals, that's the danger for me, Ray. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If he gets it, you're fine. But still, that's kind of a roll of the dice to say, I'm going with the catcher in his 30s. And I'm going with him because he's going to get me stolen bases. That's a dangerous game to play. Yeah, since he established himself in the majors, he has been as durable as any catcher, right? He plays 130 games every year, and he just does it. He gets the plate appearances, just does it. His bat is good enough still that if he plays 130 games again, his numbers are going to be good for the catcher position. They're not going to be great, but they'll be plenty good enough for the catcher position. It totally works. But that steals piece, again, if it's 16 like last year or if it's six and people all oh, got he's going to be 33, mm-hmm. six steals. You know, he tweaks his ankle in week one and six steals is totally within the range of possibilities for him. If that happens, that is a significant ding, because what really does set him apart is that he plays every day, which is in question now because of his age, I think is fair. And then the steals, which is, would be pulled back if he missed some time or just the age got him or bumps and bruises. So he's on that fine line where it's difficult to see the bat rebounding from last year's level. Again, the level's fine, but it's difficult to see him getting back to where he was. So if those steals likely pull back and it pulls back in a substantial way, again, we have a player that probably is overdrafted, but I will say his floor is very high. Like there's a lot of these catchers, you know, volatility. I don't think there's much volatility. His floor is very high, but I think the ceiling is what we have to realize just isn't there anymore. Well, one of the key factors that has allowed him to continue to steal bases is that he doesn't look like the guy below (laughs) him. Uh, For those who are viewing it, uh, it's a photo of Alejandro Kirk, who, Ray, I mean, looks more like the Pillsbury Doughboy um, or the Kool-Aid man than he does a Major League Baseball player. And Kirk is a lot younger. I mean, we're talking about guys, what are they, nine years apart here? 
Uh, but Alejandro Kirkray was a guy that going into last season, we were like, well, they're going to give him more playing time. And they got rid of Moreno. They made that trade. He'll get Ray. He, he got about the same amount of playing time, but Danny Jansen was still, you know, gobbling up chances. Mm-hmm. And with more exposure, Kirk really dipped and he was injured uh, to an extent, but Ray here was the danger of voting for a guy with this kind of body frame, honestly. I mean, it's, it's just not conducive to year after year success. And I guess that's fat shaming in, in the fantasy baseball world, but there aren't many guys who can look like Alejandro Kirk Ray and hit 280 as a catcher every year. Yeah. By the way, that's not the worst photo I found. There are many less flattering photos I could have turned to. He's, he's listed at five, eight, two fifty. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I think I was wrong about him because I thought he would establish himself last year. I was wrong. He did not. And it's really interesting because on the surface look, he, he, he has about a walk per strikeout, which is excellent. He makes excellent contact. Okay. Point number one. Point number two, if you look at his dispersal chart last year, his pull rates and all that was awful. A couple of percentage points, but nothing significant whatsoever. His ground ball to fly ball rate was less than a tenth different. So he walked the same amount, struck out the same amount, used the field in the same way, and hit the ball the same way. In the end, though, if you look at the StatCast data, it's scary because he lost three miles an hour in exit velocity. Three. His barrel rate went down from 7 to 5%. His heart rate rate went from 45 to 38%. So everything was the same except when he hit the ball, it dribbled. He didn't drive the baseball at all last year. And with his lack of foot speed, and clearly his lack of an ability to hit 25 home runs, he can't be dribbling balls or he's just the guy that you turn to when you need a guy at the spot as a booster, not someone you actually build around in your fantasy lineup. A um, couple of other letdowns. And, and Ray, I will sign up and raise my hand. I was in on this guy last year. I loved him uh, as even my top catcher in a two-catcher league. I loved waiting around for Tyler Stevenson in Cincinnati. And I, I know this for a fact. I kept holding the faith. I kept expecting, well, you know, eventually everybody else in this Reds lineup is hitting. Tyler Stevenson's going to start hitting. And that ballpark will play smaller as the summer heats up. And, and Ray, he played a ton. What did he play here? 140 games, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't hit a lick. Just He can't say it was an injury or he didn't get to play or – Oh, they should have played him at first base because he was a better hitter there than as a catcher. And I guess the good news, Ray, is he cost nothing this year. Like, literally nothing. The bad news is he probably hit at the bottom of the lineup in Cincinnati. Like, they've now got all that talent, and those guys have all moved ahead of him. And I, I he was one of the guys I was really surprised how bad it was last season for Tyler Stevenson. Yeah, and like you said, because of his ability to play first base and DH, two positions he played over 50 games last year. Uh, he, he had 517 plate appearances, which is a huge number for a catcher. So you got the work. And I think the 13 home runs, okay, you know, he's not a big power hitter, but the rest of it was kind of just meh. And you're right. It's he he's looks like he's going to play every day. There have been rumors about trading him and all that, but I don't think that's happening at this point. So he's going to play every day. He'll hit the bottom of the lineup. I would anticipate him being better than last year. But just like with Kirk, I can say I'd anticipate Kirk being better too, but I can't anticipate either guy at this point getting to where I thought they could 12 months ago. So, you know, could he hit 286 again like he did in 2021? After what we saw last year, I think it's really difficult to look yeah. at Stevenson and say yes. And if he's not hitting 280 and it's 12 home runs, to your point, he's kind of just a guy cheap. You know, he's cheap, 
So if you want to grab your second catcher, I think you're, you know, yeah. it's fine to do. But again, the ceiling here with him, I'm just not seeing it. Well, and dreams die hard because Ray in, in deeper leagues, he will be my second catcher probably. I'll, I'll go back to that well uh, because I think there can be playing time um, somewhere there uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, a couple of other names. I mean, Yasmani Grandal landed on this list. Again, he just got old, I guess, and injured and beat up. And then Ray on the opposite end of the spectrum. I don't know that anybody was really expecting good things, but it, it's just pretty wild to look at Joey Bart and how terrible he has been as a major league hitter. And I, I feel like there's a lot of revisionist history going on with Bart now that, oh, he was never going to be Buster Posey. And yeah, okay, maybe that. But Ray, he was expected to be an everyday catcher mm-hmm. who, who wouldn't embarrass himself. And right now, hell, this guy could be out of baseball in like a year or two, it looks like. Yeah, I think that most prognosticator would say he'd be Cal Raleigh. Like he'd be a guy that's hitting fifth or sixth, hitting 25 home runs, driving in 80 runs. That's what everyone thought. Let's not overlook the fact he was the number two pick in the country. Yeah. Right. Uh, and they, there was a little bit of a hole in his swing that they thought they could fix and they never fixed it. And so he has a terrible time making contact. I think he hangs around for a long time if he wants to, because he is good defensively. And, you know, it sounds like he's a good guy and, you know, clubhouse and all that kind of stuff. But he will obviously never live up to expectations. It was a complete miss by the Giants. And, you know, saying a guy's going to hang around in baseball and get 98 plate appearances a year at the big league level for a guy that was the number two pick in the country is a massive disappointment. Well, and what they signed Tom Murphy and they got yeah. Patrick Bailey? Is <laughs> Yeah, Patrick Bailey is a, they really love Patrick Bailey. He's a, and he's a good defensive catcher too. So, I mean, they've moved on Patrick from Joey Bailey Martin. was a first round pick, by the way, as well. Yeah, in, in Giants love their catchers. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Well, hopefully he ends up better than a guy like uh, Joey Bart. But jo- and I don't think many people are considering Joey Bart. But it's like Dunzo almost yeah. for Joey Bart. It's like finished at least in San Francisco. Uh, more coming up on catchers tomorrow. We are done with baseball for now. Let us go to the hardwood. It is our weekly get together with Justin Finsterman. Uh, we were unable to connect because of schedules yesterday, but uh, we're back at it on a Wednesday. Time to uh, talk some hoops, but honestly, before we get to hoops, uh, Justin is now a guy who, if he wasn't signed up before, I'm guessing he's uh, inking a deal with Netflix, because Justin, we had the big news yesterday, uh, Your fa- let's be honest, your favorite sport. WWE. Second favorite sport. Second, Second favorite. favorite? Okay, yeah. okay. Did- WWE is now coming to Netflix. I know Ray Flowers' nephew is probably into this news, and so is Justin. What We got like all the Monday Night Rawls are, are going to Netflix now. That's right. That's right. And that you're going to have on cable. It's weird to think that Raw is not going to be on cable anymore, the flagship show. But they're still going to have NXT and they're still going to have SmackDown on different cable channels, too. And you actually educated me a little bit because I didn't read the full article regarding the pay-per-views because I didn't know how this would impact the WWE Network's deal with Peacock. And that's where you could find all of their archive stuff, the stuff from the past current pay-per-views. And you're from what you're saying, from how much they paid, they're getting the entire catalog. Yeah, I, I don't know. The archive, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak to that. Maybe it's staying with Peacock. Who knows? But you're right on the pay-per-views. Um, you know, they're going to Netflix, which I would assume if you're getting raw, if you're getting the pay-per-views, you're probably getting that library too. Right. Uh, but about five billion bucks over 10 years. That uh, I sent that note to my nephew last night when I saw well, it. Right. He was all Good excited. Uncle. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to watch any of it, but I sent the note to my nephew last night. You know, Ray, I mean, there's, I mean, I might be spoiling a potential surprise down the road, but 2024 Christmas, there's your gift to your nephew. Netflix account. Not bad. 
How about that? And then he can get into like all sorts of stuff that's way too old for him too. Yeah. <laughs> Watching every slasher movie they have he, on he, there. He, he can watch Love is Blind if he wants. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, let's get to basketball. Uh, let's see. We spoke to you last Tuesday. I think it was last Wednesday. Pascal Siakam. Big name on the trade market. Uh, Toronto, as we've talked about in past weeks, they're, they're in sell. Siakam was a big fish and he goes to Indiana. Talk about this deal. Now, we should note, He's gone to the Pacers. They're 0-3 in the three games he's played. His scoring's a bit down, but what does this mean for him making the move from the Raptors to the Pacers? First addressing the Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton is still a little banged up, so that's going to be huge for them. Even though as a team, they've been able to do all right without him and shoot 50% from the field to lead the NBA. But here's the thing with Siakam, brings you more offense, but does this team really need more offense? They don't play defense, and Pascal Siakam doesn't play defense. Every single write-up, I target against him every single time. And it also works because Indiana runs the fastest offense in the NBA. So a lot of the slow-paced teams have tremendous pace-up spots, meaning they'll have more possessions against him when you attack him with the opposing forward. So I like it from an offensive standpoint, but something that's interesting, I kind of thought that Miles Turner would kind of move to the wayside a little bit, but it seems like he's still getting a lot of plays drawn up for him. So that can actually compromise Siakam's point production when Halliburton returns in a few games too. And remember, this team is going to go with the hot hand. They don't play defense. They must shoot 50% as a team in order to win. So they're going to continuously go with the hot hand. And if that's not Siakam at the given moment, you might see his production disappear for a portion of the game. Uh, Justin, Miami added uh, Terry Rozier uh, to the backcourt. They sent away Kyle Lowry to to Charlotte. Talk us about Rozier and what this means for his outlook and how does it impact the Heat? Yeah, it's interesting to see now what happens with Tyler Hero's production, his point production, because Rozier is going to be able to shoot. That's a big reason why they got him, the offensive upgrade. I also made a comment on X yesterday that – not ecstasy, but Twitter – that with (laughs) Rozier, he's a very good defender. But Kyle Lowry, I get, and people called me out on this on X, not ecstasy. And people called me out that Kyle Lowry has a better defensive rating. Okay, well, Terry Rozier is still a pretty darn good defender. And when LaMelo Ball was out and nobody else in the Hornets playing a lick of defense, he was the guy to do so. He held down that backcourt a little bit. And that's not saying a lot because they lose a lot of games, but he was still good in grading out well defensively. He also was eight years younger than Kyle Lowry. Who's going to guard Damian Lillard and chase him around 40, 42 minutes? Much harder for Lowry to do that than a Terry Rozier. So I understand that it's not a major defensive boost at all, and Lowry was better via the analytics. But still, you look at the years, the fresh legs, what this guy could do. When you watch him, he made such an impact when Ball was out, and I applaud the Heat for making this trade. They needed another scorer. They needed some offensive insurance in case Butler or Hero or someone else goes down again, and they got it with Rozier. Uh, the other night, Justin, Carl Anthony Towns busted a 62 spot. Uh, and tonight, the Timberwolves face the Wizards. Uh, that huge effort from Carl Anthony Towns cost you a Rudy Gobert uh, bet the other night. So talk to us a little bit through the, the process here. Are you looking at another big man from a DFS perspective or a betting standpoint tonight? So a lot of people are going to be looking at Carl Anthony Towns tonight. They're facing the Wizards, okay? We can score on the Wizards at this point. Another team just doesn't play any defense. However. I'm, if I'm the Wizards, I'm thinking, this guy's dropping 40-something in the first half alone. We got to put some extra pressure on him, and Daniel Gafford is back. So I'm thinking the prioritization is going to be on Towns, meaning Gobert, 
could be under owned tonight in DFS, could be not looked upon. And one of the things I said in our betting discord was that if that bet, even right after I missed this, Ray, I wrote this, that if it's at 13 and a half points for Rudy Gobert, I'm writing it up. I'm doing it because he was shooting. He wasn't getting the shots. It was all Carl Anthony Towns. Anthony Edwards wasn't shooting. But then what happened? Carl Anthony Towns single-handedly lost them that game. He got benched in the fourth quarter. So I'm thinking that when I'm the Minnesota and I'm the going into this game now after blowing that game to Charlotte, Carl Anthony Towns I don't think is going to be as selfish. And I think that Rudy Gobert will get more plays called for him. So right now, guys, it opened at 13 and a half. Didn't stay there for very long. It's at 14 and a half. I'm giving it a little bit more time to see if FanDuel drops it back to 13. Either way, in our NBA betting discord, I'm writing up that prop, the over 14 and a half for Rudy Gobert tonight. You and the listeners and Kyle know my affinity for X-Files and potential conspiracies, Bigfoot, this kind of stuff. What's going on here with Spencer Dinwiddie? Is he not giving his full effort? I know last week we had the DeAndre Ayton situation where he couldn't get out of his house because of the weather. <laughs> okay, right? So what's going on there? What's going on with Dinwiddie? Like, what, what's going on here? Talk to us some conspiracy, Justin. <laughs> I don't know if Dinwiddie's heart is in the game of basketball anymore. He's actually a pretty decent businessman, has a lot of businesses. I believe a wine after him, a wine line of some kind. And here's the thing with him. We saw this when he was on the Wizards a couple of years back where he essentially campaigned to get traded from the team, kind of like James Harden did. I feel like that's what's happening again. The Nets are trying to see what they have in their youth, and they've got guys like Cam Thomas that could score. And Spencer Dinwiddie has been at odds with the team, it seems like. And this isn't the first thing we've read about that this year. And having him score a bunch of points over his last few games and then going into last night barely looking like he was a part of the action at all as the Nets are giving up their lead to the Knicks and he couldn't hit anything last night. And then he stopped shooting. You barely thought he was in the game. Yeah, there's something wrong there. And I wonder if maybe he's either released or he's sent packing over the next couple of weeks. Speaking of something wrong, Milwaukee canned their coach, Adrian Griffin, uh, who was just hired. Like he made it halfway through a season and they fired him. Now the the line is defense. It, it sucks for the Bucks and Maybe Griffin was having growing pains as a head coach. It sounds like Doc Rivers will take over. Here's the question, though. Like, does a coaching change change things for Milwaukee? Like, is that going to affect fantasy at all? I mean, the, the argument seems to be defense. We don't care about defense for the most part. I mean, should we care about a, who the coach is for the Bucks? No, because it's Doc Rivers, and he's one of the most overrated coaches in NBA history. Oh, he was given ouch! He was. I mean, the original super team, the Boston Celtics back in 07-08, he was given that team, and they won the one championship. Just one. That's it with that team. Then goes to the L.A. Clippers. Has a very good team with DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul in his prime, a bunch of key contributors that have come and gone. Couldn't do anything with those teams. Philadelphia, couldn't do anything with that. <laughs> and here's the one thing, Kyle. You ask if anything gets changed. Apparently... Adrian Griffin had been going to Doc Rivers throughout the year for advice. So it shouldn't be that big of a transition. Now, Milwaukee's defense is going to be a problem. We knew that when they got Damian Lillard and they got rid of Drew Holiday, they were completely sacrificing their backcourt defense. So the one thing Milwaukee can do, and they're not going to do it, run out all you want to improve your defense, run out a big sized lineup with Lillard, Middleton at the shooting guard, Giannis at the three. 
Bobby Portis at the four, Brooke Lopez at the five. That will help you shut down the lane. Problem with that is you don't really have someone off the bench that can come in and give Bobby Portis, give Brooke Lopez a break. When Lopez goes out, you can have Portis shift up to center, but then he's going to need a break. And that's where if you're thinking about that, if you're Milwaukee and the trade deadline's coming up, I'm going around the league to see what utility big men that are barely playing, that could just be a big body off the bench, are out there so they can maybe get some depth and maybe run a lineup like that. Run the size lineup out because especially with their fast pace too, it'll shut down a lot of transition offense from the opposition. They won't do that though. Justin Finsterman with us. Um, last 30, 40 seconds, we'll go rapid fire because we are at the halfway point. Um, thus far, who is a player who has ascended to fantasy stardom this year? I mean, I'd have to say this, and I've talked about this guy at nauseum. Ray, I've talked with you about this as well, too. Alperin Shengun from, and I talked to Mans about it, Alperin Shengun from the Houston Rockets. And seeing the growth over the last couple of years has been spectacular. And also having Jabari Smith in that front court, a prize draft pick from a couple of years ago, and still being able to produce as much as he has, plus with how great of a passer he's been, Proud of him overall, just a stat machine, and you see the impact on the court, and he has bolstered the entire Rockets team defensively, and I know they're not as great as they were earlier in the year, but just watching him, it's fun. It's fun watching him. He's not just a blob that's standing there in the middle. He's actually moving around, and it's good to see, and he's made the Rockets actually fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, who's a failure this year? Who's a guy who's just fallen off a cliff? I mean, man, you could go, man, failure. I would have to say probably that failure would be probably I, – I haven't been that impressed with until recently with Dante DiVincenzo. I thought he'd take on a little bit more of a role. But now he started turning the corner a little bit. I think they're designing more plays, and they forgot what they signed in him. So I'm expecting him to turn things around and continue to turn things around. It's just started over the last couple of weeks, but he was mainly a non-factor. But now you're seeing that both the Knicks guards can be major, major scoring threats. It's a cold day out east. We know that because Justin has donned sleeves for his visit with us here on FSD. Uh, Justin, thanks, man. Take it easy. Get that Netflix uh, account up and roaring, and uh, we'll talk next week. Okay, buddy? Guys, enjoy the Royal Rumble. Thank you so much for having me. This weekend? This week? Saturday, man. Saturday. Royal get, Rumble. Get, get ready, get Ray. Get Shotzi in. Blackheart, Ray. Shotzi Blackheart. Is oh, she in again? All right. There we go. She's the payout in the Royal Rumble this oh, year. Wow. Okay. Take your word for it. Justin, have a good one, buddy. Mike. Take it easy. Uh, talking hoops, talking a little wrestling. The squared circle, as they say. Uh, Ray, before we get out of here, we've got a little bit of football. Again, not much shaking with the playoffs. Um, you know, no real injuries to discuss. Uh, I guess there's still a chance Zach Ertz could maybe play this weekend. We'll see. Uh, we do know this. Uh, the Chargers appear to have made a strong offer to Jim Harbaugh. We'll see. Uh, the Packers have fired their D coordinator, Joe Barry. Well-deserved. Um, and there was a report, I, I don't remember, was it Rappaport, maybe somebody else along those lines, um, saying Bill Belichick wants a small media market. He doesn't want to deal with the media, which I guess, Ray, means he's going to Charlotte. He's going to be a Panthers coach. I, I don't know anybody else with that, that has the small media. I mean, come on, it's the NFL, dude. We, we don't play games in Poughkeepsie, okay? Yeah. <laughs> we play them in cities. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's going to the, he's going to the Packers. He's taking Lafleur's job. Like, what's a small market? Like, you know, there there. I agree with you. There are no small markets. I understand the point, 
Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't want to be in New York. Okay, I get the point, but yeah, that's 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 one of those stories that I don't know. What's the truth of that? Yeah, yeah, whatever. He must really want to coach if he's uh, still yeah. going back and forth two weeks later. So. I'll give him that. I don't know why, but he must want to coach. Uh, We've been talking to wide receivers all week on the show, kind of uh, recapping everything that went down at that position. We've uh, talked about the best, talked about the the worst or the misses, if you will. Uh, Ray, guys moving up. And these are usually um, players that each year, you know, they're maybe in their first or second year. And as the season goes along, they start to see more of a chance, more of an opportunity. And then you start to get excited for the upcoming year. Uh, The perfect example of this would be Rushy Rice who, you know, if, if the Chiefs win this week and let's say they get to the Super Ray, I feel like if he's involved in, in that ascension and that arrival at the Super Bowl, then Rasheed Rice is going to get a lot of helium, a lot of excitement. But there are other names on here. They're all pretty young. Um, I, I mean, I threw Nico Collins on here, Jordan Addison, Tank Dell coming off the injury, Zay Flowers, maybe even Jaden Reed with Green Bay. These are all guys, Ray, who probably weren't considered – Gosh, wide receiver three or better. I don't even think any of these guys, maybe Zay Flowers was a wide receiver three coming into the year. But overall, guys like Collins, Rice, Addison, Reed, Dellen, Flowers, I think all of them will at least be wide receiver threes, if not even wide receiver twos for next season. Yeah, obviously a lot of game or a lot of time on the calendar before we have to make the final determination with these players. But it's totally fair to point out they're all ascending. I mean, in the case of Collins and Rice, they had big years. Addison stepped forward when Justin Jefferson went down with injury. Dell had his moments before he was injured. Flowers was the number one guy for the Ravens, kind of out of necessity, but he had some nice games as well. And then Reed, uh, you know, kind of mini Debo Samuel, right? Utilized out of the backfield a little bit too by the Packers. So yeah, that's a that's a group of uh, six young wide receivers that are certainly ascending. And it will be fascinating to see how far they go. As we talked about previously, we were discussing wide receivers. The value of Rice is probably tied to postseason performance and what moves this team makes to bolster yeah. their receiving core. Well, and, and we've been waiting for years now for the Chiefs to replace Tyreek Hill. And I don't know if Rushy Rice ever gets to Tyreek Hill's level, but it appears they've got their best bet of a guy to handle that. These other guys are a little dangerous to me, Ray, because Addison's still going to be working behind Justin Jefferson. Um, Zay Flowers, I think there's a there's a ceiling to the Ravens passing game with Lamar Jackson. Uh, Jaden Reed, we've talked about, well, there's so many options there. Who's to say the guy that emerges? And then this Houston thing could be really interesting, Ray. I mean, Nico Collins finished the year with the bang. I mean, hell, he was a wide receiver one when you add it all up in a PPR. But like Tank Dell was doing a lot of good things before his injury. And and I just wonder if Collins like separates from a Tank Dell. You know, that's, you know, it's kind of like pick your poison or maybe just take the second guy, the one who isn't drafted, which for next year will be Tank Dell just because Collins will have been healthy and Dell will be coming off an injury. But I, I still think Tank Dell could emerge there as perhaps the, the maybe not lead guy, but kind of that 1B to a 1A for Nico Collins. Yeah, it, it, there ideally they would end up in a scenario like the Dolphins with Hill and Waddle. That's what they'd like to think could happen here. Obviously, Dell and Collins, totally different players, different size, different routes they run on the field. I think another big key, too, for this team is what they decide to do with Dalton Schultz who is a free agent. Do they bring him back? You know, he's not a difference maker per se, but he's a guy that catches 60 passes. You know, do they add any other players to the wide receiver core because these guys couldn't stay on the field this year? But, you know, there, there, there's plenty of time to, to dive into this, but the hype with Stroud is real, right? It's real. People, Jeff Manns ran a poll on X the other day, and Stroud was like the number one quarterback people wanted in Dynasty. Like, it's mm. real. 
And with that being the case, we'll get a lot of the storylines about wide receiver one Collins. We'll get the storylines about how good Dell had been. Those guys are going to have a lot of helium in 2024. Well, and, and one thing to keep in mind when we talk wide receivers, uh, we are also uh, nearing, and we'll talk about this probably Friday or so, but uh, the upcoming draft class is a good one. You know, there's Marvin Harrison Jr., who might go number one, probably for certain in the top five. And there's like two or three other receivers who could go in the top 12. So uh, this could be another year where, you know, you get guys who have an immediate impact like a Jefferson, like a Chase did. Uh, not to say they'll be in these spots, but – it's going to be a load of options at wide receiver. I mean, it, it continues to be a position that just floods the market right now. That is a position where we don't have any issues. Uh, they're not always hits, and they can't always stay healthy, but uh, a lot of talent at that position. More on wide receivers coming up tomorrow. Uh, more on the playoffs, more on catchers. Uh, we'll get all that to you tomorrow starting at 11. Uh, Ray, good times today. Um, we'll make it two days in a row. I don't know if we'll make it three of baseball, but I uh, hope you've enjoyed the last two days. I can tell you've got a little more pep in your step. Uh, so enjoy the rainy weather. Enjoy taking the dogs out to uh, relieve themselves in it. And we'll talk tomorrow. Oh, gee, Kyle, I really look forward to doing that until we talk next. Thanks. Yeah, and enjoy your riding, Ray, making more projections, all that stuff. I've really made your Wednesday a very exciting upcoming uh, eight hours. Haven't I can't I? wait to go back to bed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just get this Wednesday over. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed the get together here at Fantasy Sports Daily again back tomorrow at 11 a.m. I am Kyle Alfred. He is Ray Flowers. And this has been FSD powered by FantasyGuru.com.